The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Good morning, White Ridge. My name is David Stark, and I'm a champion for Pathway Camp Ministries and White Ridge Baptist Hope for a Deepening Relationship with the Community of Garden Hill First Nations. Um, personally, Indigenous people have been on my heart at least since 2013 when we went to a Truth and Reconciliation Commission hearing in Edmonton, Alberta. And um, then again when um, I was listening to Gord Downey's final concert with the Tragically Hip and he was talking about Truth and Reconciliation and then when I was driving to work uh, that year uh, listening to his brother talk about Gord Downey's final project about Chani Wojak who was an indigenous boy who uh, died running away from a residential school. And these things just put the indigenous people on my heart. And, and then when we moved to Winnipeg uh, in 2016 and started coming to White Ridge Baptist Church, um, we heard about their connection with Garden Hill and I was thrilled about that. And my daughter Emily and I um, went to on uh, two missions trips to Garden Hill with uh, White Ridge and Pathway Ministries. And so um, when Doug asked me, Pastor Doug asked me to be the champion for uh, Pathway, uh, I said yes. And so um, Pathway Ministries is, um, is, a, is a ministry that does camps for ages, kids aged 7 to 12 in 11 First Nations community in the Interlake and Northern Manitoba. And um, they're Bible camps, and the idea is um, Pathway, uh, Pathway uh, wants to provide camps for kids who couldn't have that camp experience otherwise. And um, they want to do it over multiple years, uh, so to build a relationship with kids. And we found that when we went to Garden Hill, that the kids in Garden Hill just couldn't wait for the camp. as one of the highlights of their year. And when the first morning of the camp, there was like 80 of them lined up ready to, to come. And it was just so much fun to, to work with them and to work with the team that we were at Garden Hill with. Um, so many stories we have with the people we were at Garden Hill with. And um, so I just totally recommend if you get the chance to go on one of those trips. It's, it's a lot of fun and, and it's great to serve the, the people there. So um, where are we going in the future with... Um, having a champion for Pathway and Garden Hill, is we're interested in seeing how else could we serve the community of Garden Hill. Um, could it be that we are, could be contacts for um, Garden Hill people who come to Winnipeg, some sort of support network? Um, could it be students who come from Garden Hill to university? Can we support them in some way? Is there a way that we can support the churches more? Um, so the, the camp experience has been wonderful. And uh, I hope that White Ridge can continue to work with Pathway in that. Um, but we'd love to pray about what else can we do. So um, thanks, thanks for listening. And um, this year there won't be, uh, there may be one or two uh, camps. Not, n there won't be as many opportunities for volunteers this year. Uh, but in the years forward, I'm sure that... Um, the Garden Hill trips will be back on, and I totally recommend plugging in. And please pray for um, for Garden Hill and for White Ridge's partnership with uh, the Christians there.
so thank you very much. Have a great day. Morning, church. Uh, my name is Josh Hollins. I'm Kaylee Hollins. And we are blessed today to be able to read scripture to you uh, this morning. So uh, we'll start with Romans uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 21 to 26. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, and he did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so that as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And then Romans 5, 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. All right, good morning. I don't think I could have thought of a better set of songs this morning that went... Uh, Melanie put together there just communicated the truth of the passage that we're uh, walking in today uh, like none other so thank you this morning as I was driving here I was listening to a song that came from Psalm 34 and I think it's fitting before we take a moment in prayer and it begins I will bless the Lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. 
our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name this morning. It is our greatest need and our highest goal. And, O oh, sovereign God, this morning, I also just want to take a moment to pray for our earthly sovereign, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, as she's lost her husband, Prince Philip, this week. And, O oh God, to you, the only sovereign to whom she bows the knee, I pray that she would know the peace and the comfort of God Almighty, and that for her entire family, that they would know the peace that passes all understanding that is only found in Jesus Christ. And now, O oh God, as we turn our eyes to you, we have need of you to open our spiritual eyes. So come. Amen. I'm Steve Morris, and I am not one of the pastors here at Whitebridge Baptist Church. I know that's a common theme for those who stand on this platform. Uh, I'm one of the deacons, and it's my honor to, <laughs> my extreme honor and a little bit of fear to bring this passage to you this morning. It's a significant one, and, uh, but I've been looking forward to it for a long time. From the place of faith in God, we have peace with God, accomplished by the work of God, and we experience and become participants in the blessings from God. This is the essence of Romans 5 today. And uh, if I can get somebody to turn on the, the PowerPoint here for me. Since the beginning of January, we've been walking as a church through the uh, book of Romans. And, uh, and uh, at the outset, uh, Terry, uh, Pastor Terry surveyed for us the lay of the land in this book written from the pen of Paul. And it was uh, laid out in the, throughout the book of Romans in kind of in four sections. The case of for the Christian faith, if you could just back up one slide, the case for the Christian faith, walking in the new life of faith, which is where we step in today in Romans 5, uniting Jews and Gentiles in faith, chapters 9 through 11, and living a transformed life, chapters 12 to 16. And notice a theme through here, faith, 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 and faith. Pastor Terry, along with uh, Pastor Doug, Pastor Kevin, Azur, helped us unpack those first four chapters, the case for the Christian faith. Let me take you on a three-minute review. I'm going to be really quick on this. Three-minute review of the faith that Paul outlines for us. Premier to the entire case that Paul laid forth is the bold capstone and cornerstone of Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, the dunamis of God, 
for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Gentile, or for the Greek. For in it, in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. This golden thread of faith is weaved throughout the entire book, and we'll see this theme in the passage that we tackle today as well. In the latter half of chapter 1, we read that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And we saw in clarity the descent of mankind as we rejected God and suppressed the truth that he had given us. And over and over and over again, we exchanged his glory for anything and everything but him. And what happened? We became in bondage to that which we gave ourselves to. I love the testimony of Eric Hovind. I wish you could hear it someday. Eric Hovind of Creation Today put it so clearly when he stated, sin will make you go further than you want to go, and it will make you pay more than you want to pay. Chapter 2 and half of chapter 3, God's righteous judgment is clearly deemed unanswerable. We have no excuse. There is no way to dismiss our guilt by minimizing our sin, shifting blame to others, or justifying our behaviors and attitudes. Guilty we are. Then to add insult to injury, so to speak, the law comes along. So in case certain parties or groups of people feel they're somehow better off, than others or exempt, the law only serves to bankrupt any attempt at self-justification and all, all of us are painted with the same brush, guilty. Now, not just feeling helpless and hopeless, but any evidence otherwise has been torn to shreds and now the good news unfolds. Now the good news comes. <laughs> that righteousness can only come by faith alone. We are righteousfied. Thanks, Terry, for that new word in my vocabulary. <laughs> we are righteousfied or justified. Those two words in the English come from the same word in the Greek. Righteousness and justification are one and the same. And we are made righteous only through faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone to the glory of God alone, through the redeeming work of Christ alone. Now, Paul leads us now through the massive set of doors as we open chapter 5 into the new state, into the new territory of peace with God. This next set of four chapters, chapters 5 through 8, is all about walking it out in this new life of faith. And primary to this entire passage is Paul's resounding opening. Therefore, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Every time there is a therefore in Scripture, it is time to sit up and take notice. That's the clue. Therefore, is by extension how the dots connect. 
I may not have been the most intelligent kid. My favorite puzzle books were the dot-to-dot books. Okay, didn't take a lot of intelligence to connect the dots. But the beauty about connecting the dots is it created a picture. And that's what the Apostle Paul has been doing for us. He's, He's been connecting the dots as we walk through those first four chapters. And here he's bringing the picture together as he concludes his preceding arguments that he has set forth in the first four chapters. This is the resulting picture of his dot to dot. We have peace with God. Peace with God. I believe this is a correct statement whether it's expressed explicitly or implicitly, that within all religions, there is an acknowledgement of a chasm between mankind and God, however they might view or describe their God or gods, and that all tenets of religion is either to appease an effort to make peace with such gods or to appease the conscience of the guilt and the shame of that chasm, or both. We as human beings innately want peace. We search for it in myriads of ways, and it drives us to nearly infinite methods to find that peace. Just look back at chapter 1. That descent into the darkness of sin is an attempt ultimately to settle and satisfy the anxiety, the angst, when we do not find our peace in God. But what is peace? What is peace? Two examples I want to give you of what peace is not. There's probably a lot of more examples of what peace is not, but, and then one that is. A peace resulting from a truce. November 11th, known as Remembrance Day. Elsewhere, it's known as Armistice Day. November 11, 1918, at the cessation of hostilities in Europe, was in essence not a victorious end of World War I. Rather, it was a permanent ceasefire to bring to end the enormous bloodshed of that global conflict. It was not a settling of differences. And as history shows us so clearly, it was not so permanent. A little over 20 years later, nearly all the same nations and nation states were at it again. Is this the Bible? Or is this the peace that the Bible speaks of? No. No, it's not. Number two, is this an overwhelming crushing of the enemy type of peace? May 8th, 1945 victory in Europe. The Allied victory over Nazi Germany turned the country of Germany and its allies into piles of rubble and brought the Third Reich to its knees. In Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, I've been there twice and I've stood at the very spot on the deck of the USS Missouri, the battle, American battleship, where the Articles of Surrender were signed by the Japanese Empire in Tokyo Harbor, August 14th, 1945. 
and that surrender of the warring nations in the Pacific theater was brought to fruition after the Americans dropped two atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, ultimately bringing that empire to its knees and saving countless more lives by prolonging the war in the Pacific. Is this the peace that the Bible speaks of? No. It's not an overwhelming crushing of one party into submission. Number three, the peace that is. This is a reconciling peace. A settling of irreconcilable differences between a holy God, pure, absolute, perfect, pure, holy, righteous, and mankind, sinners, under the wrath of God, unable to bridge the gap, though we have tried in myriads of ways, and this ministry of reconciliation that brought us peace was by one mediator, Jesus Christ. We have just finished celebrating Good Friday and Easter, so I need not repeat the whole of what was so clearly communicated last weekend. But to remind ourselves once again that he, Jesus, became sin so that we, or sorry, Jesus became sin who knew no sin that we might become the very righteousness of God. This is the reality of the cross and of the empty tomb. This is a piece of reconciliation. I believe it's also important this morning to clarify that this is peace with God, not the peace of God. It's the peace with God, not the peace of God. Those are two different things altogether. Peace with God is a legal peace. Chuck Swindoll puts it this way. Justification is a legal act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous even while yet in a sinning state. This legal act of God on behalf of believing sinners results in peace. It is Jesus as our substitute taking upon himself the just sentence of death for the guilty verdict we bore resulting for us peace with God. The peace of God is a peace of mind and heart and soul that comes from being in right relationship with God and learning to walk with him and all that that entails. There we go. (laughs) So now that we have peace with God, how was that made possible? How did this reality become ours? By what process? What does the pen of Paul tell us? Well, let's take a look. I see three things clearly delineated in this portion of Scripture as to how our justification was accomplished. First of all, we are justified by faith. Verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, 
Let me ask you some questions. Is it our faith that saves us? How much faith is enough? What happens if I don't have the right kind of faith? Or how do I know if I have the right kind of faith? Is my faith big enough or strong enough? What does this word faith really mean? In defining what faith means, allow me to change the focus from being upon us to being upon God. Within Scripture, we find the causality or the origin of justifying faith. I'm going to give you two words. First word is quickening. The second word is regeneration, neither of which are found in the Bible, but both meanings are implicitly stated. Quickening is an old English word, essentially meaning come to life. So I went and checked yourdictionary.com, see what they said. And it's the action of bringing someone or something to life. Hmm. Regeneration, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary says it is being spiritually reborn or converted. John Piper puts it this way, regeneration is the cause of faith. That's plain in 1 John 5.1. Everyone who believes, that is, has faith that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Having been, past tense, born of God results in our believing. Our believing is the immediate evidence of God's begetting, of God's birthing faith in us. God is the cause of believing faith. You see, I was dead in my transgressions and sins. I was in need to be made alive. There was no affection for God in me. No warmth towards him. There was no love for God, only love of self and sin. I loved my sin. It was killing me, killing me, mind you, but I loved my sin. That's why I did it. I was a slave to sin. Now God has made me a slave of righteousness. He has transferred me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son. Because I'm now in Jesus Christ. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, for it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So which is it? Is faith a gift? Is grace a gift? Yes. <laughs> yes, it's both. First Corinthians 1.30 says, And because of him are you in Christ Jesus. Literally, from him are you in Christ Jesus. It is a gift. He is the cause. Second Corinthians 5.18, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Why? Just back up one verse. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
No boasting in men, all blessing, all boasting in God. Amen? Now, one more question. Do you need to know all this before you come to Christ? To be your Savior? No. (laughs) Just recognize your need for him and come. And in that moment of coming in faith, simple faith, you will be justified. Secondly, justified by his blood. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him, by him from the wrath of God. See, blood sacrifice had been the course of action for God's people for the forgiveness of sins ever since the law was given to Moses so many centuries earlier. Bulls, goats, rams, can't even count how many have been sacrificed over the centuries before Christ. Why is his blood so different? Why is justification dependent upon his blood being spilled for us? Well, we could spend a series of sermons in Hebrews 9 and 10 to understand that in its depth. So suffice it to say this much here at this moment, that Jesus, on behalf of us as the God-man, perfectly God, perfectly human, entered the most holy place, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. For he was the perfect sacrifice, the only spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, thus securing for us an eternal redemption. That is how powerful his blood is for us. Amen? Paid once for all. Praise God. Third, justification was accomplished by the death of Christ for the ungodly, for sinners, and for enemies of God. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. At the right time, Christ died. While we were still sinners, Christ died. While we were enemies, we were reconciled by the death of his son. This might be an oversimplification or stating the obvious but this was an expensive salvation. It cost Jesus his life. This was not a pinprick from which he bled a drop or two. 
Rather, he bled out on that cross. The one who created the soil soaked the soil with his blood. Creation spoken into existence no longer heard his voice. The living word of God breathed his last. This cost him his life. Friends, Christ died at the right time while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, while we were enemies. God showed his love for us. This is rooted in history, in the death of Christ. It was rooted in time, friends. This is a real event at a real place, in a real period of time. This is not fictional. It happened. Christ died at the right time. (laughs) I love that phrase. Don't you love it too? What timing could be better than when we need it most? God moved even before we cared. God did not wait for us to come to him. (laughs) No. He moved long before we even existed to work his salvation on our behalf. Ephesians 1.4, he chose us in him, in relation to Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world. This was not a second thought. This was not clean up yourself first, then I'll find you more acceptable to possibly bring you salvation. There's no room for self-improvement before we come to him. There's no room for bettering ourselves before we come to him. There's no room for boasting. Just come. Just come to him, just as you are. He died at the right time when we were helpless, helpless to save ourselves. Thirdly, Christ died for the ungodly, for sinners, and for enemies. Please hear me carefully. I charge you to hear me carefully. We are not garbage. Jesus did not die for garbage. We were made in his image. (laughs) But we are broken image bearers, stained throughout. Though we were made in the image of God, though we were made for him and to delight in him, In our unredeemed state, we are not just a little messed up, not just a little dirty, needing a bath. No, we were ungodly. We were sinners. We were enemies of God. This is painful truth. (laughs) This is truth. This is the gospel. Now let me ask you, 
Who dies for enemies? Who dies for enemies? Is there any sacrifice greater that one can give but their life? Paul draws an interesting comparison here to the extravagant sacrifice of his son in verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might die. These are uh, some of my relatives. The four men on, the, on your left, yes, your left there, are members of the Aldridge family, relations of ours. And the one on the right is Bruce Morris. Members of my family from past times, members of the British Army and a member of the Canadian Expeditionary Forces in World War I, they took up the struggle They served with honor and valor. They fought the enemy. They fought against tyranny. They went to the battlefields of Europe. But with all due respect to their memory and their service for king and country, they did not go there to die for the enemy. That would have been absurd. That would have been preposterous. Are you nuts? Why would they do that? They were there to stop the enemy and use deadly force if necessary. My relatives may have been willing to fall on a grenade to save the fellow soldier next to them or to lay down their lives for the rest of the family back home or for their fellow countrymen. But what Jesus did in substance, was to cross over no man's land and take the bullets for the enemy. He took the bullets for us. The prophet Isaiah, centuries earlier, says it like none other, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. What a savior. He took God's righteous wrath upon sin. He took that upon himself willingly. Hear that truth. He took it willingly and gave us his righteousness so that we might now be acceptable to the Father. This Jesus brought us peace. Peace with God. Verses 6 through 10 happen so that we might have all the blessings of verses 1 to 11. Amen? Just got to check my time here. Dear friends, do you ever think, like I have at times in the past, (laughs) 
that God's love is given reluctantly, that his favor toward you now is given begrudgingly, is under compulsion as though he would still prefer to wreak his wrath upon you if only the death of his son had not tied his hands. Oh, the love of God is nothing like that. (laughs) But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive (laughs) together with Christ. There's no other place in the New Testament that those two words are put together. The great love with which he loved us. It was love that took him to the cross. For we know, brothers, 1 Thessalonians 1.4, for we know, brothers, loved by God that he has chosen you. And so we hear, here we are, we stand before God Almighty justified, righteousfied, not guilty because of Jesus. Hallelujah. I know this is a Baptist church, but feel free to say amen. <laughs> what else did the blood of Jesus accomplish for us? I'm so glad you asked. It's great. The title of this message is Peace with God and Much More. You might ask, how can there be much more? Is not what he accomplished enough? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he did accomplish more than than we can imagine. Um, But we are really out of time. But I'm hoping you can indulge me for five more minutes here. And I just want to, you ever skip a rock? You ever take a rock out, you know, a body of water, and you go and skip it and see how many times it can skip? Well, I'm going to see if I can skip it across all seven pieces of, of these promises here. And I'm going to just literally skip it across the first five, and I want to stop on the last two for about three minutes if I can. Verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Not only did his grace bring us peace with God, but his grace has also become a daily sustaining grace. It's how we live the Christian life. It's his grace. His grace is powerfully at work within us. Number two, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's also in verse two, or slight different translation, and let us also hope in hope, or let us also boast in hope of the glory of God. To me, what that refers to is what I've seen ignite in the men that I lead. 
when they encounter the grace and the love of God. There is something that happens deep inside the heart of a man when he begins to understand how radical God's love is for him. He begins to have hope in God. When the truth of the depth of God's love begins to take root, it affects the core beliefs deep in his being. So he begins to see himself the way that God sees him. And it transforms his thoughts and his emotions which flow out in changed behaviors that are evident to all in his circles of influence, that change is real. It is not top-down behavioral modification. It is ground-up transformation. Rooted in the core of his identity, hope rises and he begins to see God and himself in the light of truth, in the light of who he is in Christ. Third, rejoicing in our sufferings. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering is a part of God's toolkit. It is not born from wrath. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Rather, what suffering is, and this is sometimes a hard pill to swallow, but it is actually one of God's blood-bought blessings for his children. That may be hard to reconcile with a good God, but you must trust that God ultimately has in mind the eternal good that it brings in the life of the believer much more than current comforts. And I wish we could take time in that, but there's just no time. That's a whole message on its own for another day. I'll hand that one over to Terry. Number four, since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God The wrath of God is still coming, my friends. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. But one day it will be unleashed. At the end of the age, the day of reckoning is coming. Do not be deceived. People don't like to hear that nowadays. That is the inconvenient truth, but the judgment seat of Christ is coming. But the wrath of God is not coming for his saints, for they already bear the righteousness of God. 
through Jesus Christ. Number five. Thank you. (laughs) For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. He's not in the grave, is he? What did we just celebrate last Sunday? The resurrection. The resurrection is coming for us if we pass before the Lord returns. Just like the resurrection is coming for my mom (laughs) that I had to bury on my 51st birthday. (laughs) What a day to bury you, my mom. The resurrection is coming. We are saved by his life. Number six, and here's what I guess that was more than three minutes, wasn't it? (laughs) Three more minutes. Verse six, or sorry, number six, verses 10 and 11. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation, by definition, means reunion, to reunite. Paul speaks much of that union in Christ. Jesus' work for us is the only means to reconciling the broken relationship between us and God. There is salvation in no one else Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not your RSPs or your TFSAs. For there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved but Jesus Christ. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. He was bringing us back into relationship with him. He's the author and the originator of our salvation, not us. This is not a man-made reconciliation. And lastly, verse 11, more than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is is the destination. He is the destination of our faith. Jesus is our mediator. The Holy Spirit is our portion. The gospel ends in God. John Piper puts it so well. God is the gospel. God is in the end. If we do not end in God as our highest treasure and our greatest pleasure, then we have missed the gospel. We rejoice in God. The gospel brings joy because it leads us to God. It brings us home. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. As I close and the worship team comes, 
I just want to remind you again that all the blood-bought promises that we find in verses 1 through 11 and elsewhere throughout the New Testament are only found in one place, and that is in Jesus Christ, in relation to him. It's nowhere else. So won't you come to him today, whether you're listening online or whether you're here in this room. If your heart... (laughs) If your heart is stirred and you need Jesus, just turn to him today. The late Billy Graham closed every crusade with the hymn, Just As I Am. And uh, just, just close your eyes for a moment. And I just want to quote that first verse of that song. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to me, thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And that is a perfect response of a heart, just as I am. No plea but Jesus shed blood. He bids us come to him O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Steve, thank you for being faithful to share the word of God in in his truth and in his tone. And uh, we have been given a feast this morning in the essentials of faith and the gospel. And I just want to lead us in prayer now as we conclude. Oh, Father, our God, what abounding love. What abounding love, so radical, so unlike the loves of this earth. So it's hard for us to understand. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, oh God, penetrate our minds and hearts to reach in and develop faith in this love of yours, oh God, to receive absolutely unmerited, to receive this grace and to be able for all of us who hear the word to stand in it and then have the hope of the glory of God. Oh Lord, today, would you be pleased to touch hearts this day and we'll give you all the glory. We pray in Jesus name. If you uh, want to phone, there's going to be a a number on the screen. You're welcome to phone. If you want to pray or talk with somebody And also here, if you want to pray or talk with somebody, please don't hesitate to reach out to one of us. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace.